The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Uh, Debbie and I want to thank you all for your love, your affection, your prayers, your encouragement, your comfort, your letters, your calls, your text messages, your emails, your gifts, your meals, your hugs, transportation. I can go on and on and on. And God has been sustaining us through our dark trial. And it's so good to be a member of a church, a local gathering of the body of Christ that takes the scriptures seriously. You follow the exhortation of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, where he writes, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And you have done that. We have seen that literally. And as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you have comforted us in our affliction with the comfort with which you yourselves are comforted by God. And so we are so grateful. So Debbie and I and our children, we thank you, BBC. And those of you who may be listening live stream, it's like the body of Christ all over the world has responded to what we've been going through. And, um, and so we thank you too. We learned Thursday that Pastor George wasn't feeling well. And I told Pastor Glenn, I said, get ready. <laughs> and you, you know, us pastors, we carry around a sermon in our hip pocket, you know. And, uh, but on Friday, Pastor George called me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going to be looking at Psalm 116. So if you're not already there, uh, why don't you turn there? And Psalm 116 is the fourth in a series of six hymns, uh, 113 through 118, excuse me, called the Halal or the Praise God Psalms, in which some commentators say Israel came to recite during their celebration of the Passover as they commemorated their exodus from Egypt. And some attribute this psalm, the authorship of it, to King Hezekiah, written on the occasion of his deliverance from sickness and death as chronicled in Isaiah 38. Still others say it has nothing to do with an individual's plight and praise, but the experience of the entire nation of Israel during their Babylonian captivity. Most commentators today ascribe 116, Psalm 116 to King David. And if David were the author, it's not certain whether he penned these words for a particular occasion or just as a reflection upon the many times that God delivered him from trouble over the course of his life. And of course, we remember Goliath, even before then, the, the bears, the lions, and, and all of that, and then Goliath, and then Saul's um, jealous responses to uh, God anointing David as the next king, and then the consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba his son Absalom's rebellion, and all of that. Maybe it's a, 
a psalm that was written in response to all of that. Well, being at Baltimore Bible Church, I need to let you know that this sermon is not going to be an exposition of Psalm 116. I'm simply going to walk us through it. And in verses 1 through 4 of this psalm, the psalmist reflects on a time when Yahweh helped him. A time when God heard his cry for help and delivered him from danger. He writes in verse 1, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, the terrors of Sheol came upon me, I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, Yahweh, I beseech you, save my life. Verses 5 through 11 show the response of one who has been greatly delivered. And in these verses, the psalmist proclaims the goodness of God connected with the deliverance of his servant. He says things like, gracious is the Lord. And our God is compassionate. Yahweh preserves the simple. You rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. No wonder he loves the Lord. He is indebted to the Lord. And so he says in verse 2, Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. And in verses 12 through 19, we find the worshipful expression of a man who is grateful for his deliverance. In verse 13, he writes, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. In verse 14, he says, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. In verse 16, he declares, oh, Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. And in verse 17, he says, to you, I shall offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. And so this psalm is a, a big, fat, thank you, Lord. It's expressed and arranged in 19 verses. And for this message, I would like to focus on verses 12 through 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And we're so grateful that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray, Father, that you would give us understanding and illumination and that you might encourage your people and may it all be done to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. On Christmas morning at the Brooks' home, before we open up a single gift, and then this has been for years, my wife and I in a couple of days will be celebrating our 42nd anniversary. So we've been doing this for a long time. We read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, and then we share letters of prayer. Each one of us has written to Jesus. We, we call them Happy Birthday Jesus Letters. And as we write them, we reflect upon the last 12 years, months of the year, and we thank our Lord for his blessings. 
We thank him for the joys and even for the difficulties he allows into our lives to make us stronger and conform us into the image of his son, Jesus. Psalm 119, verse 71 tells us that even our afflictions build us up. And so David writes, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. Warren Wearsby writes in this, his commentary that Psalm 16 is a very personal psalm with the words I and my and me used over 30 times. And it's, these words are used 12 times in just the first four verses. Look at the first four verses with me. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of chill laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray deliver my soul. But no one needs to tell us that our suffering is personal. And many of you know that last summer, my daughter's husband, out of nowhere, discovered that he had a brain tumor that robbed him of his vision. And we went through several weeks of agonizing, worry, praying, trusting, watching, running back and forth from the hospital. And we are so thankful that God delivered him and restored his sight. And we are so thankful for your prayers and your ministry to Casey and Shannon and their family. On Christmas morning of last year, before Debbie and I opened our gifts, we read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. We shared our happy birthday Jesus letters. And in both of our letters, we acknowledge our thankfulness to God for delivering our son from the brain tumor and restoring his sight. The following Monday... Evening, December 26, we had our children and grandchildren over, those that uh, lived in the Maryland area, and we celebrated Christmas all over again, sharing a big Christmas meal, exchanging gifts, and playing games like gestures. The following Tuesday morning, December 27th, I was up early, and I was texting back and forth with my friend Steve Kirchner. He's an old friend who attends Hope Bible Church. And I got a phone call from a New York number I didn't recognize. I ignored it, and the person continued to call, and finally, I answered my phone. And a woman on the other end identified herself as a New York City police officer. And she told me that my daughter, Sophia, had been struck by a car. And I asked, well, how's she doing? And then the officer was weeping as she told me, it's really bad. There's lots of blood. By that time, I began to cry myself, but managed to ask, has anyone called her husband? To which the officer responded, it was her husband who struck her with his car. And you need to come and get your grandchildren. I'll text you the location. And I said, okay. I ended the call. I went to my bedroom, and I awakened Debbie, who knew something was very wrong because I was really crying at that time as I told her what happened. And Debbie stood up, and I, she was still trying to awaken herself, and I told her that she needed to sit down, and I shared with her what the police officer told me that happened to Sophia. And then I called Pastor George, and he and Jennifer quickly drove over, and George and I jumped, jumped into my car, and George drove 
And we made the trip to Queens, New York. And we were told to report to the police station where my grandsons were being watched and cared for by a team of detectives. And afterwards, Pastor George and I drove to the hospital and were directed to the ICU. By this time, it was about five to six hours after the incident. And at the hospital, Pastor George and I went to Sophia's room, and they were still working on her. And I couldn't bring myself to see her at this point, so George was able to look in her room while I waited in the conference room across the hall. And when George returned, he fell into his seat and began crying. And he said to me, it's bad, Chuck. It's very bad. And sometime after this, I peeked into Sophia's room and saw her on her bed, hooked to all kinds of equipment. Her eyes were wide open and a blank stare, and her mouth was open, and my daughter appeared as if she was dead. We were later given the details of what happened to Sophia. And you may have already read the articles, been nationwide and international, but just to simply put it, her husband waited in his Ford Explorer for three hours waiting for her to come out the house. He had the boys, three boys in the car with them. When Sophia came out, he told the boys to buckle up. And he floored his vehicle, hitting my daughter. The vehicle flipped. He climbed out of the vehicle and ran over to her and proceeded to stab her multiple times. Later, the surgeons and neurologists met with me and Pastor George and told me that there was little brain activity. And I should consider at this time what kind of quality of life that Sophia would want to live and make the decision accordingly. In Psalm 116, verse 3, the psalmist writes, The cords of death encompass me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me, and I found distress and sorrow. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to walk out onto the 50th yard line of Ravens football stadium at M&T, M&T Stadium, and, and, and I was in the middle of that beautiful green field, and I imagined what it would be like to be there when the Ravens were executing a play. And, and close up, I would only be able to see a handful of players blocking and tackling or missing passes. <laughs> a year or two earlier, I was sitting in the nosebleed section of this stadium, and I could see the entire play or plays being executed. And so the Bible says in Psalm 138, verse 6, Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. And so we're not omniscient like God. We don't have a panoramic view of our lives. Apple would want you to believe so. Oftentimes, we don't have a clue of what the Lord is doing and is doing uh, behind the scenes in our our lives, uh, not until we press the rewind button or the replay button and look back like the psalmist is doing in this psalm. And over the years, I've pressed rewind many times. And just a day or so after my daughter was injured, I hit the rewind button again. And I I shared this um, remotely. We were in New York, and and Pastor George put me on uh, while we were celebrating New Year's Eve. But I, I remembered God's work in Sophia's life. I remembered his miraculous deliverance of Sophia at birth. She was born only weighing two pounds, two and a half ounces. And this was back in the 80s. 
And I remember when she was delivered, they took her over to this table, and I heard the doctor say, say, we're losing her heartbeat. We're losing her heartbeat. And me and Debbie began to pray, Lord, save our daughter, save our daughter. And then we heard the doctor say, her heartbeat is going back up. It's going back up. Just like instantly, God answered our prayer. I remember God calling Sophia to trust Jesus as her Savior at at an early age. I remember God putting a desire in her heart to leave our homeschool in the 11th grade to start a Bible club at the local high school, and she did that. I remember God calling and taking her to do missions in China and Ecuador. I remember him putting in Sophia's heart a desire to assist uh, with a new church plant in Queens, New York, and that church goes on today. In fact, that church was the same church that surrounded us with love and care. They put me and Pastor George in a hotel for three days and just ministered to us, that same church. I remembered how in the past couple of years, God was using Sophia to encourage women who suffered abuse. And now here we are. My daughter is in a coma, and I was being told that she might die. Verse 3, the cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me, and I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I beseech you, save my daughter's life. And Psalmist continues, look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. My son Mike and I were in New York the week following the attack. And we needed to get into Sophia's apartment to make sure everything was okay. We need to grab her bills to to make uh, sure that they got paid and all of that. And then while I was there, guess what? I found Sophia's happy birthday Jesus letter. Here is my daughter, 41 years old. She was still keeping the tradition. We found her happy birthday Jesus letter. On December 25th, two days before the incident, Sophia had pressed the rewind button of her year And here are a couple of sentences from her letter to Jesus. And so in her letter, after recounting a very difficult year, very difficult, very explicitly, she recounted that in her letter to Jesus. She writes these words. My safety and sanity is found in you alone. And she capitalized you. You are my peace. And she capitalized the word peace. And I'm still learning to lean back and relax into that. I can rest in your character in the middle of all my hurt and pain. In Psalm 116, the psalmist looks over his life and he sees the Lord working. He sees the Lord rescuing. He sees the Lord delivering and providing. So he asks himself the question in verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? He is in essence saying In view of the mercy of God, especially in view of of his love manifested in my life, what can be an adequate return for love like that, for mercy so great, for grace so undeserved? But an important question we need to ask ourselves is, what can we give to God that he doesn't already own? Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord and all is fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. In Psalm 50, God says, for every beast of the forest is mine 
and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and all the wild beasts of the field are mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. It's his. What could we offer him that would meet the infinite worth of his character and his blessings? I mean, his, his benefits are incomprehensible. Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? His benefits are incomprehensible. They're impeccable. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. His benefits are inexhaustible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. His benefits are inestimable. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so the benefits of God are incomprehensible, impeccable, inexhaustible, inestimable. So what can we render to God for all he has done for us? In other words, how can we properly and appropriately say thanks to God for all he's done? Well, the psalmist provides us with two answers from Psalm 116, verses 13 and 14. Number one, we can worship the Lord. And number two, we can serve the Lord. Let's look at number one. We can worship the Lord. Look at verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And while it's somewhat unclear what the psalmist is referring to in the first part of verse 13... Most commentators believe that the cup of salvation refers to the Jewish drink offering, which accompanied the thanksgiving offering that was given as an act of worship. And we can see that in Leviticus chapter 7, Numbers chapter 15, and Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. Others have contrasted the cup of salvation with the cup of wrath that represented God's judgment of sin and his wrath reserved for the wicked to drink. We see that in Psalm 75, verse 8, Isaiah 51, 22, Jeremiah 25, Ezekiel 23. The cup of wrath is associated with Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, and it was the cup of God's wrath that he drank so that those who believe on him might be saved from the punishment of sin or for sin. So the cup of salvation symbolizes all the blessings of salvation, not, 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 not wrath, it symbolizes all the blessings that come with God's forgiveness, God's forgiveness bestowed on the believer. And so the psalmist writes, I will take the cup, up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Look down to verse 17. The psalmist writes, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. And the sacrifice of thanksgiving or the thank offering falls into the category of the Levitical peace offerings. In Leviticus chapter 7, it was offered to, sh- to show gratitude for when God saved someone from distress, someone from death, someone from sickness. Find that in Psalm 50, verse 23, throughout the psalm, in Amos chapter 4, verse 5. 
In Psalm 50, verse 23, God says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. And so when the psalmist refers to offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving, it could also be that he's not referring to an actual sacrifice at all, but rather a simple expression of thanksgiving. In fact, in Hosea chapter 14, verse 2, it speaks of offering to God the fruit of our lips. In the letter of uh, to the Hebrews, the author writes, through him, that's Jesus, let us continually offer a, a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So putting um, both verses 13 and 17 of Psalm 116 together, the writer is referring to his acts of worship. In other words, the psalmist is saying, all I can do is offer the Lord worship. For all his benefits. And so worship is the appropriate response from one who has been a beneficiary of the Lord's benefits. Worship. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had this in mind after he penned the first 11 chapters of his letter to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 1, chapters 1 through 11, Paul lists, and you're familiar with this, the mercies of God. Remember, the doctrines of salvation, the cross of Christ, our deliverance from sin and, and death, the resurrection of Christ, our, our justification, our redemption, our sanctification. And as Paul contemplates the mercies of God, he erupts with praise in verse 33 of Romans chapter 11. He erupts with praise with these words. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. It is all inscrutable. It is all undeserved for from him and through him and to him. Are all things to him be the glory forever? Amen. That was a weak amen. <laughs> so what produces genuine worship is our grasp of the wonderful doctrinal truths of Scripture. And so Paul begins, look at chapter one, if, uh, chapter 12, if you turn to Romans, and I'll get a swig of water here. Look at verse 1. Romans 12. Therefore... I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. We just went over what they were. The doctrines of the faith of chapter 1, chapters 1 through 11. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then Paul goes on to write chapters 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, all practical exhortations and, and, and applications of uh, the doctrines that he just introduced in the first 11 chapters. And, and then in the last chapter, chapter 16 of Romans, he closes this letter with these words. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which had been kept secret for long ages past, but is now manifest. And by the scripture of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations leading to the obedience of faith, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. 
You see Paul worshiping? <laughs> Another example of this is found in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, where Paul elaborates on the spiritual blessings that God has lavished upon believers, and he just, entered, he just shares this doctrinal smorgasbord. And at the end of chapter 3, he writes, he does it again. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So what shall we render unto God for all his benefits toward us? Worship. That's right. Worship is motivated by a biblical knowledge of what God has done for the believer. And worship is, it always comes in response to a contemplation of the spiritual benefits and blessings afforded to us in salvation. That's why when we come to church on Sundays, we should be overflowing. If you've been in the Word during the week, <laughs> we should be overflowing in it. And, and, and we can't wait for the first tunes on the piano or, or whatever's being used to sing the songs of praises to God. Writing to Timothy, Paul gives his salvation testimony. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he writes, verse 13, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy. So that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And at the mention of this wonderful truth concerning God's mercy, Paul launches into worship. He says, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's worship. It comes from a heart overwhelmed by the benefits of God lavished upon the believer. And in Psalm 116, the psalmist writes in verses 1 through 11 that, God heard his voice and his pleas for mercy and was gracious and compassionate. God delivered him from the attacks of his enemy, even people that were close to him, attacks that would have surely resulted in death. God kept his soul from death. God preserved him spiritually and eternally. God dried up his tears, resulting from accusations, attacks, and betrayals. God dried up his tears. God kept his feet from stumbling. And in this short psalm, we see some of the attributes. We see some of the perfections of God on display. We see that God is gracious. We see that God is righteous. He's merciful. We see his goodness. We see his omnipotence. We see his eternality. Right in this psalm. And so he asked himself the question, what shall I render unto God for all his benefits? I will worship. I will worship. I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. To you, verse 17, I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. And many... People have asked Debbie and I, 
how have we been able to make it through this trial? We've worshipped. We've worshipped. God is our sovereign God and King. He does everything right. Everything he does is right. His ways are perfect. None of this has taken God by surprise. Our daughter is a follower of Jesus Christ and has a testimony of being saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We're grateful to God for saving her. And how could the psalmist say thanks to the Lord for all of his benefits? The psalmist resolved to offer worship to the Lord. But I said there were, were two ways. The second thing that the psalmist offered, resolved to offer to the Lord for all his benefits was service. Look at verse 14. We can serve the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. When the cords of death encompassed the writer here in the psalm and the terrors of Sheol came upon him, he found distress and sorrow. Verse 4 tells us, he called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Yahweh, I beseech you, save my life. And perhaps it is at this time, in the midst of distress and sorrow, that many who are desperate, who are in desperate need of the Lord's deliverance, make vows to the Lord. Many make vows when they're, they're in distress, as did the writer of Psalm 66 in verses 13 and 14, Psalm 66. He writes, I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows, which my lip uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. When Sophia was in ICU... I can tell you out of desperation, her daddy made vows to the Lord. I made vows to the Lord. Yes, I did. And the Bible doesn't forbid making the kind of vows the psalmist made to the Lord. It just warns that when you do, be sure that you keep them. <laughs> Excuse me. The Bible shows the consequences of making foolish vows like Jephthah did in Judges 11. Or rash vows like Saul forced on his soldiers in 1 Samuel 14. Or wicked vows like the Jews made in Acts 23. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus warned against making flippant vows or attempting to make our words or, 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 or character believable by making an oath, swearing to God. And back in Psalm 116, the psalmist cried out to the Lord and the Lord was gracious Verse 5, righteous, verse 5, compassionate, verse 5. The Lord saved him, verse 6. He dealt bountifully with him, verse 7. Rescued him, verse 8. He, uh, the Lord allowed him to walk before the Lord in the land of the living, verse 9. And the psalmist writes that the Lord heard his voice and heard his supplications. The Lord inclined his ear to him. And now he was on the receiving end of the Lord's benefits. And because the Lord answered his prayers, he resolved to pay his vows to the Lord. And notice in verse 14, where the psalmist pays his vows. He pays his vows in the presence of all God's people. 
Look at verse 18 and 19. He writes, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Twice, the writer lets his readers know where he will demonstrate his gratitude. Verse 14 and 18, oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. And John Calvin writes, he once more repeats what he had said about gratitude and that publicly, for we must manifest our piety not only by our secret affection before God, but also by an open profession in the sight of men. I've had lots of people come to me, write me, text me, tell me, man, your letters have really been encouraging your updates. (laughs) I'm just demonstrating my gratitude in the presence of all his people. And the psalmist pays his vows. He renders his service publicly, not to boast, but to show he is not ashamed of God's service. He renders his service publicly to encourage others to join him. And perhaps it is here that we can introduce the idea that worship and service are two sides of the same coin. Again, Calvin writes, the Holy Spirit, speaking of the true worship of God, very properly connects by an indissoluble bond these two parts of worship, where God says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and after thy deliverance, glorify me. Whoa. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, 16. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So in Psalm 116, the psalmist sees both worship and service as necessary offerings to God who has lavished him with benefits. Do You see it? So when you and I come to realize in our hearts that we've been lavished with God's benefits, we too will ask the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? And when it's all said and done, the only thing that we can render to God for all his benefits is worship and service. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall what? serve. And so we see that serving God is an act of worship. And it was the reformer, Martin Luther, who said, the most acceptable service we can do and show unto God, and which alone he desires of us, is that he be praised of us. And it's interesting that we put these two words together without thinking too much about them. Worship service. In Psalm 116, the psalmist presses the rewind button of his life. He reminisces of those times in his life where in spite of his suffering, in spite of his despair, he saw the Lord working. He saw the Lord providing. He saw the Lord delivering and blessing. And he was moved to ask the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? I will take up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. That's worship. 
And then he says, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. That's service. So when it's all said and done, the only thing that we can render to God for all his benefits is worship and service. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, the greatest and most magnificent and gracious benefit God has bestowed upon us is our salvation from the penalty of sin. We're saved, cleansed from our sins, declared righteous. The Holy Spirit of God indwells us. We're united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. We're adopted into his family as his children. We're reconciled to God. We're no longer under the wrath of God. We have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for us who are kept, Peter says, by the power of God. I like the way Paul summarizes our debt of worship and service in this way. Turn to um, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're, we're almost finished. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll just... I think I'll do what Pastor George does. I'll go all the way back to keep it in its full context. Um... Ephesians chapter 2 says in you, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them. We too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That sounds like worship to me. For you, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That sounds like service to me. So what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? How can we say thanks to God in the good times and the difficult times? We can worship the Lord and serve him forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving us, for, for forgiving us, and for giving us the opportunity to worship you and to serve you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to bring glory to your name through our worship and our service. Whether we're in the good times or in the difficult, the challenging times of life, we know that you use those to conform us in the image of Jesus. And we certainly want to walk in his steps, even if we have to suffer. So thank you, Lord, for your word. May we walk according to it 
May we meditate on it. May we obey it. To your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.